Hi, I'm Andy Simon. Welcome to On the Brink. Remember, my job is to help you get off the brink and to soar. So what do I like to do? I like to go looking for people who can help you see, feel, and think in new ways so you can change. And the times they are changing. So we need to figure out how do we, in fact, see things through a fresh lens, begin to understand and feel about why they're better, and then think about how we can do it so we can then do it, and it'll work. So On the Brink goes out to find people who can help you do that. Today, I have a wonderful woman to share with you. Mari Ryan is a terrific woman who I have met through Peter Winnick's Thought Leader Group on Tuesdays. And how many times have I had to thank him for the opportunity to meet some great new people? But Mari's got a great story to share with you about your wellness and well-being and the things that she does to help organizations strategically take well-being and wellness and make it part of their whole brand, the way in which they run their companies, because people are worried about their well-being now and belonging, but they also want to know, what do I do about it? And it isn't enough to simply say, oh, that's very important. My, my employees will really care. But you've got a real problem coming, coming out of this pandemic, and people are going to ask some heavy questions about where do I want to work? What kind of life do I want to add work? And so with that in mind, let me tell you a little bit about Mari. Mari is CEO and founder of Advancing Wellness. Great website. You need to check it. She's an award-winning author, which will tell you a little bit about her book. And she's a speaker and workplace well-being strategist. She leveraged over 30 years of business experience in all kinds of roles across a variety of different industries. But for the last 10 years, Mari has been creating healthier businesses. What a great passion and purpose to have and impacting the lives of those employees. She consults, it's true, but she's got a great strategic process, and I've introduced her to some of our clients, and I know that there's something important, there's a gap here that she can help fill. Mari, thank you for joining me today. Oh, Andy, I'm delighted to spend time with you as always. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Now, I always ask my interviewee to share with our audience, who is Mari? What's your journey been like? What's your own story? In some ways, you become a role model for them and their stories. So Mm -hmm. tell us about yourself. And how do we get to well-being? Well, well-being was something that I came to actually later in my life. I've spent my entire career in business. I had my first corporate job when I was 19 years old. So I've done a variety of different types of roles in my career. I've been in sales, marketing, operations, management. I've seen insides of some of the largest corporations in the world. And in the early 2000s, I was traveling and working as a business consultant. And I was traveling 100% of the time for almost two years. Wow. I had 3,000-mile weeks and I had 6,000-mile weeks. And I got home at the end of that nearly two years and I said, this life sucks. This is not (laughs) what I want to do with my life. Well, I'll share this. I did 129,000 miles on an airplane year before last. You may have beaten me, but I couldn't agree more. But please continue. Yeah. Well, you know what it's like. It's just everybody thinks it's just such a glamorous lifestyle and it's not. It's not. It's just uh, you, you know, lose connection with the people in your community, your friends. You know, it's it just feels like you're just packing up the suitcase and going on the next trip, which is what you're doing. (laughs) And when I when I used that, I took a break and I was really kind of trying to figure out how do I how do I make my life more meaningful? And I actually hired a coach who to help me work on this. 
And it took me a couple of years to really figure it out. I, I went through a series of processes and understand my strengths and what I like doing and what brings me joy. And what it eventually led me to was I knew I wanted to do work that was going to be meaningful, not just to me, but to the people that I came in contact with. So I wanted to, to improve the world in some way through the work that I was doing. And I ended up attending a conference where there was a training program, a certification program for workplace wellness. And I thought, well, I know workplaces. I've lived in them my entire career. How hard can the wellness piece be to learn? And I knew from the very first day when I was in that session that I would do this work for the rest of my career. Wow. I got the workplace piece. I learned the wellness piece. And here we are 15 years later. And now I'm an expert in the field. Well, being an expert in the field, give us a little more flesh to this because people will hear the words, but not necessarily concretize it in some fashion. So what does a, a well-being expert in those workplaces actually think about and feel? And you're very purposeful and passionate, but you know, flesh it out a little bit so we know what it means. Well, let's talk about this in the context of, well, we, we've heard about workplace wellness for decades. And when we think about wellness, we often think about our physical well-being, you know, our physical self. So how much do I exercise? Um, am I a normal weight? Am I getting enough sleep? What am I eating? And, you know, do I have a lot of stress in my life? Um, the, so the things that are sort of the physical aspects of who we are. And for many, many years, that was really what the workplace wellness programs focused on. They focused on getting you to eat the right foods and to not to use tobacco and to move more. And then over the last few years, and I'd really say this is over the last five years, we've really come to recognize that we're more than just our physical selves. There's this emotional piece. There's the piece about how we connect with other people. There's our financial well-being. And we all know if our financial life is out of whack, our whole life is out of whack. Yes. So there's these multiple dimensions. And when we think about these multiple dimensions, we're looking at people as more holistic individuals. And we know that when somebody shows up at work, they don't leave the fight with the teenager at the door or the fact that their spouse or partner might be unemployed. That all comes with the person into the workplace. So all of those pieces that make up who we are, in some way, we have a unique situation in the workplace to be able to influence some of those elements and those dimensions that make up our total well-being. Well, but you know, you're talking about something very important and powerful. I have to do a workshop next week for a client, my leadership academy on life-work balance. Mm -hmm. and, and I actually did a clubhouse on life-work balance. It's a sidebar to my life and my work, but I was interested enough and I had enough people asking me back as a cultural anthropologist, you know, what is it in our culture? I said, what is this? I have a friend who wrote a book. It's all a hoax. You know, is work not mm -hmm. life? And is life not connected to what you had happen in the workplace? Right. You know, how many folks can segment out the day from the night or the weekend? And even the efforts to make people not work on Saturdays isn't very easy to do when they have 100-hour work weeks. There aren't enough 100 hours. So as you're growing into this, you've learned a lot about how the full person's well-being influences the work that they're done. 
So tell us about it, because I think the kernel of truth here, it's not about whether your, your weight's good or your exercise is good, it's how you're feeling. And that's a different word. And I'm so glad you brought up this topic because we've been through a lot of change and we'll continue to go through a lot of change in these recent times and in the near future. And our work life has expanded. So if you think about this first in the context of, for many people, they used to have a natural boundary between work. They got in their car, they got on the subway or on the train, and they had that barrier that separated the two. And then they went home and they had home. And those barriers have been removed for many, many individuals who are working from home and not in the office. So those barriers are gone. And the work, the work has expanded to fill the time. It's harder to build those barriers and it's hard to shut off for many people. And unfortunately, there are many organizations that have a always on culture where, you know, getting emails, you know, at two in the morning or, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be, you know, those always on cultures that really are doing a disservice to the employee. Because as we all know, we need to take breaks. We need to have that separation. We need to step away from the computer and be able to have time to clear our mind and to do other things that are going to give us joy and fulfill us. Now, you work with organizations. And when you and I have talked about it, you really help them develop a strategy of well-being and wellness for for their company and why that's so important. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the, the what, the how, and maybe a case study that can make it come alive? Sure. Well, I really take what's really unique about the work that I do is really thinking about well-being from a strategic perspective. And when we think about this in organizations, there are many influencing factors that can drive or influence or diminish well-being for the employees. So the work that we really do is looking at this from a strategic perspective. We look at culture, we look at the physical workspace, we look at job design and our employees paid a living wage and look at management practices and the ways in which employees are recognized and rewarded. And then all of the programs, policies and benefits that surround that. And the work really entails uh, a discovery process. So an assessment and using qualitative and quantitative techniques to really document the current state of that organization. So where are they today? Where are they starting from? And then through a strategic planning and visioning process in a couple of day retreat session, what we do is we develop that vision of what what they aspire to be. What's that future state going to look like? And through a series of facilitated exercises in that workshop, we've really come up with that vision, mission statement, create those goals and objectives, and identify the key elements that are going to be part of that. So that when a client leaves that situation, they now have an operating plan that they can go and execute. And sometimes they you know, work with me on an ongoing basis to help them and hold them accountable to that. And other times they go off and do fabulous work and might be a couple of years before they call me back and say, hey, let's do that again. A lot's changed here. We need to redo that. Since since we're strategy folks, too, you're not necessarily doing this for a um, an expansion plan or an acquisition strategy. You're doing it for a well-being strategy. Exactly. So that this is about how am I going to attract and retain folks and worry about their whole person? 
Ah, that is fascinating. Let me me use an example of this. And this was with a client that I was working with uh, recently in uh, northern New Jersey. And they're in an industry that, you know, isn't one of those sexy industries that everybody wants to work in. It's actually the grocery industry. (laughs) And until until the pandemic hit, we probably we we took that for granted and didn't appreciate it quite so much. But because they were based in northern New Jersey, they were competing in that marketplace with high-tech companies, pharmaceutical companies, financial services companies in the city. So they were having a hard time attracting the kind of people that they needed to be able to grow their business. And this is where the chief people officer said, hey, you know, we've got some pieces that are missing here. They had a few things that were going on that were really being driven organically by the employees, but nothing that was systematic, that was planned, that was really thought through, and that had been justified based on the, you know, the data of what the employees wanted to do. So that was where I was able to work with them and really provide them with a well thought through plan. Is this something that um, I always worry about uh, when I leave a client and they say that was exciting and nothing ever happens after mm-hmm. that? And so how do they sustain the momentum and actually see the benefits of this intangible of having their folks uh, enjoy coming to work every day? I'm assuming some of the key indicators are how we feel, um, the smiles on our faces, um, that that work-life balance that just is happening, that we respect each other in some way. Are there key indicators that they begin to see happening? Well, I'm all about being able to measure impact. And it's it's interesting. So another case that I just want to mention is a a hospital system here in the Boston area where I live that I worked with on two occasions. The first time I worked with them, the chief human resource, resource officer came to me and said, listen, we're paying $60 million a year for healthcare costs. We need to manage that cost. So it was really about managing those costs. And over time, they were able to, we developed their strategy and they they went on to execute it and win awards for their program. And then when a few years later, so it was about five years later, they came back and said, a lot has changed. So here's what we want to do now. We want to look at this from the perspective of how can we be a best place to work? How can we attract the people that we want and provide a good employee experience for the people that work here. And in the time that had elapsed over that five years, they'd grown their headcount by about 36%. And they did keep their head, their healthcare costs flat, which was a huge accomplishment. But they're different motivators for each time you know, that we work together. But the, the, the real crux of this is having someone who is really going to champion this and someone who is going to make sure that it gets done, just like any other objective. Yes. You know, think of it as a, an OKR, you know, um, objective and key result kind of or a key performance indicator. Somebody's got to really be the champion of this. And in this case, in the hospital system, it was the chief human resource officer who was partnering with the chief administrative officer of the physician's organization. So two key leaders in that organization and their efforts were able, they were through their efforts, they were able to get buy-in from the other members of the senior leadership team. So leadership support is an essential aspect of this. All of the leaders have to really recognize that we can't achieve our business objectives without our people. 
And if we don't care for our people, if we don't have healthy people who are engaged and productive, we can't accomplish what we're here to do. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. It's interesting, though, very often those very same leaders say the words, but don't quite get what it's going to take to do it. Yes. I guess you've met the same ones I have. huh? Yeah, apparently so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But once it goes over that, I'm always a gap filler. Once we get over that hurdle of uh, believability and all of a sudden they watch their workforce turn into ones who are reluctant to work with high turnover and late and too much PTO and lots of, of stuff that are telling them something. There's a story in that data. And I always say to them, what is it telling you? And if you can change the story, maybe the data will show you that it's together moving someplace better and you become a place, the best place to work where people want to come and work um, because they are thought about as whole people. It's um, and, and it's it, and in today's world, that woman is particularly important as a leader in that conversation. So I'm curious. I'm a big believer that many of these things can come from the bottom up in as long as the leadership mm-hmm is doing it. Do you find that that you need the engagement of the employee, not just of the leadership? Because I find that if they can help design the changes necessary and feel accountable for them, is an ownership that works far better than it, if it's a command and control as opposed to a collaboration. Oh, absolutely. That is essential. And you know, these can't just be top down, um, you know, uh, project du jour kinds of initiative yes. du jour, whatever <laughs> it, it is. It just can't be that, you know, it's it's got to be something that first off comes from a sincere and authentic place. So when leaders talk about we care for our people and they have to do that authentically. So they can't be doing one thing that's going to contradict the, that that language. 
And I always, in the processes that I use, one of the data gathering processes I use is uh, focus groups. So I talk to about 10% of the workforce in focus groups. And of course, and in, in you've done this, I'm sure, and you know that you get things in focus groups that you just couldn't get people to talk about in other ways. Um, and you could never get in a survey. But we also do surveys so that we get the opinions and interests of the majority of the workforce. And just having people engaged in that process gives them a certain amount of buy-in. But in the implementation process, one of the things that I like to always do is to create an ambassador network. Yeah. And these are people who are strategically placed within the organization. They could be people who may have influence but not authority in the workplace and have those people help be the champions for, for this. And it's not necessarily going to be the marathon runner or the triathlete or those people, although they could be good too. It's the people who may even be struggling with, you know, managing some element of their own well-being, yes. because then we're more authentic about what it is that we're struggling with. And we often encourage senior leaders to be, you know, open and vulnerable about these things. That because vulnerability. Yep. Yeah. So that it's so that they know we see that vulnerability. We see them as humans. Yes. And and all of that, when you pull those pieces together, absolutely that buy-in. And you know, I've even had clients where we did initiatives and they were, you know, my organization was brought in by the senior leadership team. But it was it was actually a family owned business, multiple generations, and it was very much a command and control kind of workplace. And yet once we got in there and we started building relationships and there was a health coach who was talking to literally every employee, there was this bottom up swell that really went between the employees to be able to really say, hey, we can take care of each other, too. Yes. Well, and that by itself is quite interesting. Um, for a moment, um, let's talk about what's coming out of the post-pandemic mm. uh, entry period. And uh, we don't have to talk about the pandemic per se, but you know, I've had clients where uh, an accounting firm I've been working with for four years, they have 70 accountants, all of whom are working remotely. And they had finished building a brand new office complex right before this all started. And he can't get them back to the office. Right. And they said to me, you know, it's two hours a day of commute and you can imagine how much more I can get done without having to be in a car. And so I trade off having to be worried about my kids who are now going back to school and then having to commute to come back. What is the value of being in the office? And for others, particularly in the management, it's, well, that's where we can get to know each other and where we can share each other and where we can coach each other and we can learn from each other. And so there's a new culture emerging, and that is sort of a different kind of wellness that's coming. And the number of folks you mentioned before we started, 52% of employees are thinking about a different job. There's going to be a whole lot of turn and churn. So there's something coming out of this that's well worth paying attention to. Can well-being be a critical brand identifier for those companies that are ones we should go to, to work in? And what are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing a lot of change, your specialty. So there is a lot of change. When we think about the workplace of the future, it is not going to look like it did in 2021 
or even in 2020 or 2019. Yes. The, the workplace of the future is going to be based on a model of flexibility. So you talked about some of the, the, the clear elements that have come out as a result of the work from home, the work from anywhere era that we now live in. People recognize that and managers and leaders are starting to recognize that people can be productive wherever they are working. Yes. And that was one of the, the probably one, I think of one of the biggest learnings from a workplace perspective, that people really are still productive when they are working in scenarios, you know, not in the office. Yes. And as a result of that, people have, the, the employees have now seen a side of life that they may not have experienced before. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to commute for two hours. <laughs> Who does that, right? No, I gave that up too, like you did. No airplanes, no commute. Exactly, right? I changed my career because of, you know, the commute that I had. So people are recognizing that there are some elements to their well-being. And a, a classic, I think, example of this is a, is a friend who lives in the greater Boston area, but used to commute to downtown Boston by train. So he would get on the seven o'clock train in the morning. He would be in Boston at the, the station by eight, but then he still had to get to his office across downtown. So he'd walk or grab a bike or something. And then he would do that whole thing again. And maybe he was getting home by 7.30 at night. And yet in the pandemic, I'm seeing all kinds of little messages and you know, we're on an app together about physical activity. And I see him out running at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden there was this awareness of flexibility of being able to re redeploy those time, that time that you used to use for commuting to do other things. Now, some people have just gotten sucked into their desk and into their computer and their work doing that. But many people have chosen to modify their lifestyle to include elements of well-being and different ways to support their well-being during that time. So employees have a much bigger consciousness about this. Yep. They're, they're going to be concerned about the safety aspects of going back to the workplace you know, still some distancing, you know, this, the safety aspects of the physical workplace are going to be concerned, you know, what's the, how is the, um, the air, you know, the filtration systems, are they working at a, a pace that's going to keep us all healthy? So, so those elements are going to be there, but I think the bigger piece is really going to be around the flexibility piece. And the hard part for the, for employers with this. So the, the statistic um, that I shared with you earlier from uh, a research study that was conducted and released last month was that employees, as many as 52% of employees will be contemplating or actually taking action to change jobs this year. Wow. Any employer who thinks about a vast percentage of their employees yes. starting to turn over, there's a huge cost associated with that, huge elements of downtime and churn and all of those things that can really disrupt a business. So employers need to be very cautious about this and be managing this risk. And one way we suggest that is by thinking about well-being as a foundational element in the workplace, in the culture, and using things like flexibility, support for mental well-being, uh, better you know, parenting benefits for working families who are have been struggling through all of this. 
So there's a lot of different approaches that can be built into a strategy to help them really prepare for this potential risk that is coming. Well, you know, I did a talk for a, an organization. They had 350 of their management team together, remote. Um, but as I prepared for it, I interviewed several of their senior folks and some of their more middle managers. And one of the guys said, you know, like you and I, I was on a plane every Monday, came home on maybe Thursday night or Friday. I spent the weekend catching up on all the things. I really never had a life. Right. Now I know my kids. I know my wife. My work hasn't suffered and nobody else's work has suffered. We've all figured out how to be productive without having to be on an airplane every week. I'm not so sure I need in-person stuff to the degree that I thought was essential. But now the other side, being an anthropologist, humans are herd animals and we need others. And so now the challenge for employers and for employees is to find ways to relate to each other, to socialize and learn from each other. But we're going to be intentional about it if we're smart. And we're not going to simply go back to what we were in 2019 and say, that's the way it ought to be. May not ought to be. We've learned that we can have many flexible ways of being. Um, But there is that point of social that that's where we, you and I have a conversation the way you and I do. And we learn from each other. And that's what happens in the office when you walk next door and say, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And so we need some new tools in our toolkit to make sure that we can sustain that. Yeah, we absolutely do. And I'm really glad you brought up this point because connection is one of those core tenets of both who, you know, who we are as human beings and certainly of our well-being. And another piece of that is the community piece of the yes. community and a workplace is a community. And this is where organizations are going to need to really work hard to make sure that you know we are helping managers and leaders understand the how they need to be thinking about and addressing and in their own behaviors and actions to just, you know, if it's take five minutes and at the beginning of a call and just ask how everybody's doing and, yes. you know, just making those connections with empathy and compassion so that people feel heard, they feel cared for. But we're going to be thinking differently about how we manage and it's it's going to take some time to do that. There was a recent Harvard Business Review article that talked about this disruption in our social networks and in the really the whole way in which we communicate in many ways has been disrupted. So we've got to find ways to rebuild that. We, we don't have the hallway conversations or the pop your head into the office conversations anymore. So we've got to be very intentional yes. about our connections in a way that is going to be meaningful so that people really feel that that they're part of something. And this is where I go back to the idea, this is an off, one I often use with uh, clients, is making sure people feel connected to the purpose of the organization, right? So, so profit is not the purpose and you know meeting the numbers isn't the purpose. So do organizations have a purpose? And you work with a lot of mission-driven organizations, you know, the hospital I mentioned, you know, they have really a mission that people feel connected to. And I think that's an important way that, that leaders and managers can really instill that sense of belonging, that sense of purpose, that we're all here to do something bigger than just the day, you know, the daily tasks that we do. And that's important because, as we've learned, that purpose-driven living 
and purpose-driven selling and purpose-driven life takes something which is tactical and practical and gives it some meaning. (laughs) And humans really do need to mean, they need to believe that they mean something, that their actions have something more than just a paycheck. And if you you make it into a paycheck, you're going to lose because the energy isn't going to come. It's going to be just enough to make a living. And now we want folks who really are committed to to a a wonderful organization. Um, Mari, before we, we're just about ready to wrap up, but um, you have a wonderful book. You want to tell our listeners, you can actually show it on. Yeah, Um, yeah, there we go, The Thriving Hide. Talk a little bit about it. And um, then a couple of things that we don't want our listeners to forget, please. So The Thriving Hive, How People-Centric Workplaces Ignite Engagement and Fuel Results is a book that I wrote a few years ago. It is a parable set in two beehives. It's the alive hive and the dive hive. Where do you think you might want to work? So it's a, it's a quick read um, available on Amazon in uh, paperback, ebook, and also on Audible. Uh-huh. I think it's a terrific book, and I think the listeners and viewers will enjoy thinking about what kind of hive you want to be in and how you create one. And parables, you know, we're storytellers. Exactly. Parables are great ways of understanding, like your story been today. A couple of things you don't want our listeners to forget. They often remember the ending. All right. The first is, as every senior leader knows, you cannot achieve your business objectives without your people. So number one, you have to take care of your people. You really have to show that you care because that is how your people will be attracted, will be attracted to work in your organization, be engaged when they're there, and then they will stay. Super. And that is very interesting. People say to me, how can you be an anthropologist studying and working in business or corporations? Don't you work with small scale societies? And I said, what makes you think an organization isn't a small-scale society? (laughs) Humans like to live and work in groups. We're herd animals. And it gives us pleasure, purpose, meaning. But you need to be part of an organization that understands that and doesn't think it's incidental. It isn't about the profit. It is about our purpose. This has been such fun. Where can they reach you if they'd like to get a hold of you? Well, they can come to the Advancing Wellness website, which is advwellness.com. Connect on with me on LinkedIn and would love to hear from anyone in your audience. LinkedIn has become our directory of choice for all kinds of things. You can find Mari there. She's got a great website there too. So thank you, our listeners and our viewers. It's so much fun to share with you people like Mari, Ryan. Um, it's a time for change. Our brains hate change. Please don't let them take over. That cortisol can go away. The oxytocin can come back. One of the things it's time to think about is we and our well-being and how we together can build a better organization coming out of a very hard time. You know, I was listening earlier. Some of the folks, some have lost loved ones. Others have just been living at home. Everybody's had a different experience. The last thing you should do is assume you understand, because I don't think any of us really do. Each one is idiosyncratic to a degree that is difficult to imagine. But as we're coming out of it, the one thing we know is the times they are changing. And as Bob Dylan told us a long time ago, they will continue to change. So let's turn change and make it our friend, embrace change and make it something we love to do, because I don't think it's going away. Even when we reach that point, it isn't going to stop. So for all my listeners, thanks for coming. Remember, uh, On the Brink is here for you. 
Both of my books are on Amazon. Rethink has been out uh, since January 2021. It's doing extremely well. It's helping people rethink. Mark has it. Yay for us. It's, uh, it's a cool topic for today because we're thinking women, rethinking women, and it's a time for us to reimagine what women can do and who we are, how we can do it. So I want to thank you all for uh, being such a loyal audience. It's wonderful to share with you. Bye-bye now.